0: Yeah? Oh, there it is. Okay. Good morning. <laughs> this is Acts 17:16 to 34. Uh, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's another long one.
1: There you go recently um the information from the 2021 census was released and in australia the fastest growing religion is no religion it is now almost 40% 39% well 38.9 so we'll round up 39% now for you to Uh, have an understanding of where Christianity lies now that's Christianity from the sense of all sort of different churches and ways that that's described it's 43.9 percent so 44 percent so 39 49 and then every other kind of religion that's on the census that you're able to tick the box for uh, is underneath that. And so when we hear about Athens, it might be odd for us to think, why are we preaching about Athens? Why would we even look at this speech, this sermon, this encounter that Paul has? Because we are a a, a nation that is of no religion. (laughs) We are those who are identifying ourselves and growing every year as a place that has no religion at all. But I want to remind you of what a definition of religion might be. Religion is doing activities in order to receive my desire or attain to something beyond. Religion is our desire to do activities to receive what we are wanting or to attain for something beyond. Uh, Maybe I can put it this way. If I desire to be an excellent piano player, in order to do that, I don't just sit around and hope that that happens. I must work hard to achieve that goal. And still, even then, I might not accomplish it. In my own life, that's proven true. I needed to work hard to become a better piano player, and I didn't. So guess what? I can't play the piano. But if I had set aside the time every day to practice religiously, then I would have maybe become a halfway decent piano player. Because to be fair, I'm not that gifted and skilled in music. We have set aside things in our lives that say we are not religious. But in fact, every individual has something that they are religious about. Something that they hope they achieve or something that they want to reach to that is beyond them. And they build systems and ways of attaining that that sometimes only they can determine what those are. About 20 years ago, there was an article written about a a woman in uh, the north. West of America, and they were talking about religion. And she said, My religion is Sheilaism. Her name happened to be Sheila. And she would just take things from everywhere that she was in order to make herself feel good. And so she said, My religion is Sheilaism. And so when we talk about Australia today, when we talk about the world where actually worldwide no religion is growing, as something on a census to tick as your religion, you would think that no religion, you just wouldn't tick anything. We look at Athens and we go, no, actually, we're all religious in some form or fashion. All seeking after some meaning or a purpose that is beyond us. Something that we've determined will give us fulfillment. Something that we believe will give us protection. Something we believe will give us our heart's desires. And so, as Paul walks around Athens, as he's waiting for his mates to show up and be with him after a missionary trip that they've had, he's looking around, and it could be said of Athens that it was the junkyard of idols. There were idols everywhere in Athens. There were these little fixtures so people could pray or seek or attain. And so, quite honestly, anywhere you turned, you would see an idol. And it says that he becomes frustrated or irate or jealous for the people of Athens. He's Broken in his heart, seeing that they're attaining for things that will not fulfill them. They're moving towards things that they have determined are the meaning of life, yet missing out on the person who is life completely. And so they worship all these idols. But they don't just worship all these idols. They like to discover new idols. They like to have conversations about what new things are out there. And so Paul, as was his custom, would go to the synagogue. And then he would go to faithful uh, folks who were trying to follow Jesus. And then he would go into the marketplace and he would proclaim. And it says that he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. That's what he was doing. Now, they were confused and they thought it was Jesus as a divinity and the resurrection. As a divinity, and perhaps that they were in cohort together. They didn't quite understand. And that's the reason why they said, Could you come and talk to us more about that? And so Peter, uh, Paul comes and he begins to speak to them about Jesus and the resurrection. Now it tells us that there are a couple of different groups that were there, and there were more than this, but we hear about the Epicureans and the Stoics. And really to sort of uh, generalize kind of what those two philosophies were about, is this. The Epicureans, uh, they sought enjoyment of pleasure. They emphasized chance. They thought about escape. So the world's hard. There's no afterlife. And so we might as well just enjoy it while we're here. That's the one I like. (laughs) And then Stoics. Stoics emphasized fatalism submission and endurance to pain there was maybe an afterlife but we don't know what that is and what that means for us today is the world is hard so you better suck it up and you better work through it don't listen to your emotions because they're liars because they'll fool you into thinking things could maybe get better (laughs) so it's better just to accept that it's only going to get worse and just work through it Sadly, that's the one I fall into more often than not. And so here Paul comes and he says, For those of you who either think there is nothing after this, know that there's a resurrection. For those of you who think that the world is hard and there's no loving creator to walk with you through it, know that there is. That's what he says. By starting off, men of Athens, I perceive that you're religious in every way, for I've seen all these gods, but I want you to know about the God that is the one who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord over everything, who doesn't need your words, your work to be attained to, but that he comes for us and in fact holds all us together. To to quote your people, he says, we are God's offspring. We are those who have our life, our being, our movement in this God. And so he's talking about their idols. He begins to tear them down and and show them where they are false. Now it's interesting to me that he's looking around and he's seeing all of them. And he knows that they recognize that there's this idol to an unknown God. Now, we don't know if they had set up an idol to an unknown God saying, we just don't want to mess up, or if that through time and erosion, the name of that God happened to have gotten kind of washed off, and they've gone back to it and said, well, we can't remember what it is, so we'll just say it's the unknown God. But whatever the case is, is they didn't want to miss out. (laughs) They wanted to make sure they had their bases covered. And the first thing that Paul does in his sermons, is he lets them know that there is no add-on that you need. He lets you know that Jesus himself, that the Christ, who is God-revealed in the flesh, is not an add-on to everything else that you're doing in your life. It's not an escape valve so that when things get bad, you cry out, well, I'll trust in this Jesus guy now to make sure things go okay. He's pointing out very clearly that Jesus is the only one, the premier and the high one. That yes, while there are things that are in our lives that might influence or or walk with us or even sometimes give us some semblance of truth, they are not the truth. That in fact, Christ is all in all. And so it's good for us to remember, as we know that we're those that on the census most of us might have clicked Christian, that we ourselves sometimes have Christ as just the add-on. We think that our lives are going well because of the things that we're doing. We believe that we're attaining to righteousness because of the works that we do. We believe that God loves us because we're good enough to be loved by our works. And what Paul is reminding us is, no, that's not the case. You've actually just built an idol of your own works or something that you've done. It's good for us to remember, and Tim Keller puts it this way, an idol is anything to which we turn when we need something only Jesus can provide. Idols aren't just statues worshipped at shrines. They are substitute gods and functional saviors that supplant the true and living God in the human heart. Idols can take the form of the need for peer peer approval, the restless pursuit of success and money, the drive for sex and pleasure and food, all consuming allegiance to a sports team, to the pursuit of education, or even a show of obsession towards an individual. That we all have idols in our hearts that spring from our disordered love. And more often than not, an idol is a good thing that becomes the best thing for us. Where here Paul is reminding us that those idols will fade away as he tells them, We are given our lives through God, so why should we then think that God should be represented by things that will fail, by gold or silver or stone or some imagination of a man. And then he lets us know of God's mercy, that there's a place that God has walked in and he has seen the way our hearts will turn on itself and lift up these ideas, and he had held off. But then he sent Jesus to be the one for us. I wouldn't want you to go look in my refrigerator right now because it is a mess. I've not taken the time to clean it, so there's leftovers and things that need to be thrown out. But if you were to, for some reason, be at my house and open my refrigerator door, because quite honestly, I'm okay with you doing so our house is open. You would see that we have multiple forms of milk. We have cow's milk. We have oat milk. We have coconut milk. We have macadamia milk. And we have almond milk. That's a lot of milks. Well, no, it's really not. It's one milk and a whole bunch of nut water. In our lives, we look to nut water. It, it says milk, but it maybe is spelled with a Y. <laughs> milk. But it's not milk. We look and we hope that these things will give us meaning, that these Hopes and dreams that we have to achieve something will give us purpose. There are things that then grab hold of our hearts. The other day I ordered coffee and I said I need a long black with just a splash of milk. But they heard oat milk for some reason. And so when I got it, I read it and it said dash of oat milk. And I thought, oh, they've ruined my coffee. And to be fair, it wasn't that bad, but it's not the way I like my coffee. Even just a little bit of that, that falseness, that idol, ruins the purity. Even just a tiny bit breaks it for us. And so here, Paul is making it very clear There is one God who shows himself completely through one man. And that man is the one who will judge. He is the one who will say, you are for me or you are against me. And so there's three responses that happen. There's three responses that take place in this, and in that place, they all are costly. The first response is to ridicule and reject. We see that happen at the end of this passage, they say, and mock him. And so when you hear that there is one God who is shown through one Christ, who is above all our idols, who will give us our life and our being and who we are, you can mock it and reject it but it's costly because you're walking away from the creator of the universe, the sustainer of who you are, the one who pursues you in steadfast love. You're walking away and rejecting the one who knows you better than you know yourself, the one who has given completely by self-sacrificing on the cross and who has risen so that you can walk in a new life, a life better than you've ever dreamed. The second group of people are those who are curious. They are wanting to know more. They're they're saying, speak to us a little bit more about this. But that's costly as well. Because if you're in that place of discovery, of seeing the steadfast love of God pursuing you, then there are things that you will have to give up. It will begin to chip away at things that you've built your identity on. And it will begin to cause you to perhaps even lose relationships that you've had with those who were good when you were just mocking, or not believing. And that's hard for us because these are people that we love. These are people that we've walked with. These are things that have identified who we are that we then have to give up. And then the third reaction is of those who believed, who joined, who walked with Paul. And that's a great sacrifice as well. Because it means for those of us who have done that, my life is no longer mine. I am no longer Lord and Master of my domain. I am no longer the one who ultimately is the idol of my own heart. But in fact, I am the one who is saved and loved and pursued by God. And now I am known in Christ. so I'm different, I'm changed, I'm made new. And it is only through the work of Christ that that's able to happen. Here in a minute, we're going to take communion. And we use gluten-free bread. Because there are those who can't have regular bread because of what it has in it. And so there's part of me that sometimes when I'm thinking about it is like, is that really bread? (laughs) Right? Is that really bread? But it's flour of some sort mixed with water. It has an agent that causes it to rise. It gets baked. And if you think about the definition of bread, that sounds pretty close. It just might not be made out of wheat flour. It might be made out of another flour. I say that because of this. We oftentimes will get to the place in our lives where we're starting to, to, to determine what do I need to let go of and what do I need to, to have. And, and we sometimes will hold, well, there's this thing that makes my religion, my, my relationship with God, right. Flower. Some kind of flower. Water. Water a rising agent, heat. That's what makes bread. Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he died and he rose again. That he is the purest, fullest image of God who loves us and pursues us. That's belief. I'm grateful that you're here at this particular place and the way that it works itself out in this location. But I want you to know that there are other churches that believe all of those things, but their bread would taste a little bit different than ours. And that's okay too. So I say that to remind you that we're not alone. (laughs) Because if we're having to give up, if it is costly for us to follow, it is good to know that while it seems that the nons continue to raise and that seems odd to us, the fact is is that God is working around the globe in a way we could never imagine, in a way that we couldn't perceive, and that we walk with those who while their bread would taste different or identical to us because they are captured by the Christ, Jesus, who loves them, and pursued them and so are we. And so we should be encouraged in that and know that God was jealous for us. He hurts when he sees us loving things that will pass away. and that's why he came and died for us and rose again. Let me pray. God, you are holy and mighty and true. We ask that today we will receive these words, that they will return to you with good work, and if they are not your words, that they will burn up and go away. It's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.